I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Hello, my name is Olivia Wan, and I'm with the Compliance Divas. Welcome to this week's episode. We decided that we would spend a little bit of time on HIPAA, as this is just a timely topic as OSHA and infection control. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite channel or on our website at thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources we mentioned during this episode can be found on thecompliancedivas.com. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Conducting a risk assessment is the first step in identifying and implementing safeguards that comply with and carry out the standards and implementation specifications of the HIPAA security rule. If you create, receive, maintain, or transmit electronic protected health information, this applies to your dental office. There is not really a specific methodology other than conducting of the risk assessment also known as analysis, as being the foundational element in the process of achieving compliance. And this is a requirement. So dental offices must identify and document reasonably anticipated threats to electronic protected health information and prepare a corresponding work plan. I wanted to mention before we get started that the previous director at the Office of Civil Rights mentioned in discussing a settlement with a health insurer that if covered entities don't invest the time and effort to identify their security vulnerabilities, be they technical or human, hackers surely will. And this case of the health insurers vividly demonstrates the damage that results when hackers are allowed to roam undetected in a computer system for nearly nine months. And with this particular case, there was a $6.85 million settlement. So let's talk with the divas about this timely topic. Linda, can you please describe the process of a risk assessment for our listeners? Yes, Olivia, this is such a timely topic. I know we've spent, like you mentioned, a lot of time focusing on all the changes with OSHA and CDC. Uh, it's very important that our listeners um, keep their awareness and their focus and their guard, if you will, up on all the areas of their practice that um, require compliance with different laws. And this HIPAA is certainly on the forefront with all the fines and ransomware that's happening. So the risk analysis or risk assessment is a requirement of the security rule, as you mentioned. And so I'd like to just stress the fact that the security rule became effective in 2005. So this is not a new requirement. Although some of our listeners may may be new to dentistry or started a new practice and may not be as familiar with it. The Office of Civil Rights has a guidance document on how to conduct a risk analysis, and we will make that available on our website. And I'd like to highlight a few of the points in that document so that our listeners can um, review it and understand what to look for as they're conducting their analysis or learning how to do one. Well, first and foremost, it is a requirement, as we both mentioned, to conduct an accurate and thorough assessment of the potential risk and vulnerability to the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of electronic 
protected health information. So in order to do that, we have to look at the different steps involved. And this document goes further and describes those and helps someone understand what the elements are of a credible and thorough risk analysis. First, we need to look at the data collection, just like almost a scientific research project in high school, for example. Um, look at the data collection. You need to identify where is all your electronic protected health information stored and transmitted. And with the use of so many mobile devices these days, we can't eliminate the fact that our personal cell phones may have PHI or EPHI on it. I'd like to just bring the attention, Olivia, to the fact that some of the programs and uh, different services that our listeners subscribe to in their practice um, encourage the use of cell phones because of the ease and the convenience of the size of the device and there's special lights they can attach for pictures and taking photos and whatnot. And we have to think about where's this data live and what devices is it on? So that's the first thing, looking at that. And then identify uh, all the different and document along the way. Let me just state that as well. The potential threats and vulnerabilities. Uh, th that's a really important piece to look at the weaknesses in your network, as well as in your human firewall, as far as training and things um, along those natures for your team. This is a point now when you identify the threats and vulnerabilities that you want to confer with your IT partner to go through all the uh, layers of security that they have in place. You know, it's not uncommon for us to talk about the layers of protection in a dental setting for um, you know, protecting ourselves against the risk of aerosols. So we have to protect our practice and our patient data the same way. Think about the layers of protection that you have um, to safeguard your electronic protected health information. And then once you look at the ideas and options or potential threats, look then at the current security measures that you have in place. When we read now about some of the different factors, um, I've just read an article or several articles lately on the zero trust factor. Um, that takes security to a whole nother level where just having two-factor authentication or having a, a virtual private network may not be sufficient. And I'll qualify just briefly that two-factor authentication is when you're required uh, requirements that are set forth to identify yourself when you're logging into one of your softwares. And it's simply more than a username and password. That only counts as one identifier. Uh, the second one is when you get a code or a phone call, you get a text or a phone call with a special code that you then have to input. And you see that um, with banking and all other businesses and companies that we work with, this is a requirement for us to have in place too, to maintain high level of security. And then the next step, Olivia, is to determine the likelihood of that threat. Once we look at a threat, whether it's a fire or ransomware or whatever that threat might be, what's the likelihood of it occurring? And then what's the potential impact to the office? So while let's say maybe you live um, in a flood, or let's just say maybe you work in a flood zone. I'm here in Florida. There's a lot of coastal areas. So the likelihood of a threat could be a storm, a hurricane, or some um, water damage or flood. Uh, but then what's the impact of that? is the impact to the data, not to the building. We know the building could be demolished, but what's the impact to the data? Is our data secure because we have redundant backups and it's never exposed or never lost? So those are the main highlights when you're looking at conducting a security risk analysis. Olivia, I'd like to also enlighten our listeners to a couple of different points about conducting it. The risk analysis is not a checklist. It's not a quiz that you take online. It does require some support and assistance from your IT partner, but they are not the ones that are, should be conducting it for you. 
you should be connecting yourself with um, the outsider's eye, if you will, kind of like walking into um, HDTV and, you know, evaluating someone's home that needs to have some improvements before they can sell it. What are the improvements you can make to your practice to enhance your security? So there are a couple of different ways that you can approach this. You can certainly um, use the free tool that's available on the healthit.gov website, healthit.gov. And we will make that um, URL available on our website as well. So that's one place you can start. You can also hire a, an experienced HIPAA consultant, or you could hire a HIPAA compliance company. But whatever route that a practice chooses, Olivia, I would really caution our listeners to be careful about any phone calls from unknown individuals or companies that have that are pressure calls, that someone is insisting that you answer questions about your practice now, and you conduct the risk analysis over the phone. While they may be a credible company, it's the fact that there are so many um, social engineering ploys happening in our society and all industries. We don't want to fall prey to that and give our information to someone who could possibly misuse it if they're not who they say they are. So, Olivia, I think those are the main points of describing a risk analysis. Thank you, Linda, for doing such a great job. And I appreciate how you mentioned personal devices, such as cell phones that might contain protected health information. One of the things that we've discovered in the process of doing a risk assessment is everything from operating systems not being current, routers not being commercial grade, not having up-to-date antivirus software, inadequate firewalls, people just walking away from a workstation, or the fact that the IT group that they're working with lack the competency to serve a healthcare facility such as a dental office, missing policies, backup method insufficient, and employees not being trained. So Mary, how do we fix this? What do we do with the results? And how does a dental office or office manager address a work plan? Great question. And thank you both for all the great explanations that you have given already. The first thing I will tell our listeners is you have to do something with the results of your assessment. It's not, as Linda said, just a checklist that we go through and say, yes, we do this. No, we don't do that. If there are things that are required, like passwords and changing passwords on a regular basis, those types of things, or having an appropriate type of a router that also acts as a firewall. If you identify that as a vulnerability, then you are obligated to fix it, or at least create a work plan, as we've talked about previously, in how you're going to go about it. So our work plan is we've identified that we need to have a different type of router and firewall. So our first step may be investigating, contacting various companies to find out what's available and how do we do the implementation and so forth. So you have to, for every shortcoming, if you will, any deficiency that you identify, you must create a plan that has specific steps to how you're going to fix it. And you should put timelines on that as well, because I've seen a couple of practices where I helped them through a HIPAA audit and they addressed, not with me, but with someone else, the same deficiencies year after year after year, and they did nothing about it. You might as well not even do it if you're not going to um, correct the deficiencies. So um, 
Unfortunately, some of these items that you identify may have some cost attached to them, but the cost to the practice from a security breach and from the, the, the negative um, publicity from a security breach will be far greater than fixing um, some of the problems that are identified. And it's very, very important for you to make sure that you document um, that assessment, that you use some type of a form. I think Linda's going to talk a little bit about the e-tools the e that are available um, for you to use, whether you do it yourself in conjunction with a consultant or your IT um, experts, your IT service technicians. Um, make sure it's documented and save it in a couple of places so that you don't lose that documentation. And when you do, for example, the 2021 assessment, I would pull out my 2020 assessment and compare notes and see where we're at um, versus where we were at last year or the year before. So documentation and follow-up are the two critical steps when you identify or get the results of your security risk assessment. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate how you mentioned about the timelines. That's critical and especially important for busy people in a dental office. Before we move on to Leslie, I want to ask Linda, how would you describe the difference between a vulnerability and a threat? Well, thank you, Olivia. I did mention two very technical terms a minute ago. So a vulnerability is more technical in nature. It has to do with a flaw or weakness in the security system itself. Um, as, as you and Mary have mentioned, you know, the network is not configured properly. Uh, the patches aren't being implemented uh, to keep up with any vulnerabilities that have been identified. When you think about, let's just say the operating system, as you even mentioned, Olivia, when you have a software program or your operating system, we think about how often that company sends out a patch sort of like an update, if you will. And this is exactly why um, offices can't continue using older versions of Windows operating system um, and Windows stops supporting it. So because they, they find, or the hackers find vulnerabilities, weaknesses in the code where they can potentially go in and hack somebody who's using that software. And then it's the responsibility of Microsoft or whoever the company is to then fix those holes or flaws and develop patches. So those can be exploited by the hackers who recognize that, and then they can use that to tunnel into your network and exploit your network with ransomware or other kinds of malware or viruses. So now the opposite is sort of a threat, and that is it's a person or a thing that's going to trigger um, the, the, the episode or the security incident. And it could be even unintentionally. It could be um, through lack of training or someone uh, gets uh, fooled, if you will, by a phone call when, some, when there's a hacker or uh, someone trying to uh, exploit this office through a phone call. So it could be anything along those lines. And the trigger could also be, as I mentioned, hurricanes here in Florida. Uh, there's a terrible weather storm coming across now and dumping a lot of rain on California. So there's, there's floods and things happening everywhere on different weather systems that could cause some kind of a threat to the practice. So, so those are the main two differences. Um, and Olivia, I'd like to just um, make a quick comment regarding Mary's story. That was so perfect to share that story that time, Mary, because when you think about any practice that has a documented history of non-compliance, now you might as well just say, here, I'm non-compliant, come find me. 
if something happens. So this is um, not a good place for offices to be. And that was a great story, Mary. It just reminds us the importance of following through on all the details with these risk analysis. And I might add that was an $8,000 fine for that. It was huge. Wow, Mary. When I was working on the 2021 risk assessment process for my own office, I wrote down on an index card and I kept looking at this as I went through these different parts of the analysis. As an example, a vulnerability can be being elderly and the threat could be COVID. So when you combine the vulnerability with the threat, well, an elderly person that gets COVID might die. So that's a very high risk. And so as we go through these different parts of the risk assessment, you might want to keep that in mind. But I'd like to ask Leslie, how often should a risk assessment be performed? That's a really great question, Olivia. And as Mary mentioned, sometimes dental practices are not looking annually at their risk assessment, like they look annually at their OSHA bloodborne pathogen training. And uh, I think that when I've heard of various different dental practices having settlements or fines with HIPAA, it seems that it comes back that they haven't conducted any kind of a training program or a risk assessment program on a regular basis. It's a one and done. They think it's been, uh, we've gone through the risk assessment. Okay, we're good. We're HIPAA compliant. So I'm finding that based on the citations, fines, and settlements for dental practices that they're documenting that they have not conducted the training on an annual basis. So I can't find the word annual anywhere in any of the HIPAA regulations that I'm uh, researching all the time. It's coming up in the citation process. So it, not only annually, but uh, you know, relying heavily on your IT company. Uh, my IT company gave me um, something they called a minimum IT standard of care which I really like because that aligns nicely with a dental uh, standard of care. And it has to do with all the technology parts that I personally am not familiar with. And many times dental personnel are not uh, you know, well acquainted with. I'm not on top of all the various antivirus and, and uh, firewall and patching. Uh, I also don't really trust backups. I need someone to tell me that it's working and to show me that it's really restoring. And I'm a little bit leery myself about adding new programs without asking my IT company for assistance and whether that's going to be a problem within my particular system. Thank you, Leslie, so true. And we encourage the same thing, even if they're not going through the risk assessment entirely, they should, as Mary pointed out, be looking at the things that they've addressed from the year before to make sure they're revisiting this process. So Mary, what would you say is the most challenging aspect of the risk assessment process? Great question again, Olivia. I think for most dental practices, it's really understanding the process itself and the specific questions that are being asked. And Linda mentioned, and I think you did too, Olivia, that in many cases, when you do this risk assessment, even though you should be or someone from your practice should be doing it, you need to call in some IT professionals or a consultant who really truly understands what 
is being asked of you in the questions. And, and I think one of the things that many people find um, challenging is they feel like, well, I've answered that question before. They're just asking it in a different way. Are they trying to trip me up? And the reason is that there are three categories of compliance. One is administrative. So that's your policies and um, protocols. The other is technical, which is software um, and the patches, security patches and antivirus programs. And the other is physical. Um, things like, is your server in a, in a locked room um, so that it's not as vulnerable to somebody you know, walking away with it or hacking with it? Um, do you have an appropriate physical firewall? So it's really understanding, I think, the entire concept of the, the um, risk assessment and the willingness and the ability to pull in some expert help to get you through that process. Good point, Mary. And it does require some time to be allocated to the project. I know that when we're working with groups, we reserve questions for an admin person, and then we have questions for IT. And sometimes it's very difficult to get the answers, which is frustrating for us because we end up with an incomplete assessment. So we've had to make changes on how we go after the information to ensure that these projects are completed in a timely manner. But we find that HIPAA security and the risk of a breach is extremely relevant for today's dental practice and very important information for us to incorporate into our practices and our business. And we really appreciate this opportunity to get together with the compliance divas to talk about the HIPAA risk assessment process. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Any of the resources that we mentioned, particularly Linda's information on the HIPAA risk assessment available online will be made available on the links on our website. We look forward to working with you next week. Thanks again.